Hey there, founders. This is J.R. Wilco with today's Unnecessary Foolishness. It's episode 50 of the Superfluous Poppycock podcast. I've got Marilyn Dubinsky here with me, and we are going to be discussing four straight overtime games that the Spurs have been involved in, practically all of them that could have been avoided and yet happened anyway, two of which came for one reason and two of which came for another reason. Marilyn, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Very interested in talking with you about your initial take on these four straight, four consecutive history-making first time in 50 years a team has been in four overtime games in a row. And have an interesting take on classifying these two, these four games, two of which and two of which. Tell me about that. Well, the first two against the Houston Rockets and Sacramento Kings both came after the Spurs were down and forced overtime themselves with some clutch play, good shot making, good defense. The latter two, one was a loss to the Cavs and one was a win over the Suns in Mexico City. Both came with the Spurs getting a late lead in the fourth quarter and blowing it and ending up in overtime. Now, blowing, that's a, that's a strong word, Marilyn. Is that the word that you mean there? It is, especially because in both cases, they could have iced the game if... DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge had made their free throws. Okay. So is it time to talk about the clutch gene? Let's let's set that aside. For, let's set that aside for just a moment first. All right. So you've got two games where the Spurs did all they needed to do at the end of the game and made the plays on both sides of the court to push the game to overtime and won them. And then you've got the two games, the two most recent games, right? So if we're talking about momentum, if we're talking about the team starting to play better, if we're talking about the team coalescing, that's not happening. Because in the two most recent games, they get the loss to the Cavs and then Saturday night's game against the Phoenix Suns, they only went to overtime because they essentially messed up enough to get there. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, continue. Keep on walking me through it then. Okay, well, we've already talked. I'll allow, I'll allow you to say blow now. They blow that lead or blew the game, almost blew the game, did blow it against Cavaliers. You've made your point, so off you go. Well, we, we already discussed the Rockets game a lot last week with the protest and controversy, but in that mm-hmm. one they came from 22 down, mostly behind the play of Lonnie Walker. It was very exciting watching them play defense and hit shots. You felt like maybe they were turning a corner with that game and had discovered something. I like you watching could, the team make plays, play defense and make shots. That All that sounds good to me. It does. It doesn't seem like it should be that unusual to see from a Spurs team, but it is kind of unique when you get both this season. <sighs> so then you have the Sacramento game where – First three quarters, Spurs did what they've been doing all season, which was go from good stretch to bad stretch. A lot of times those bad stretches outweigh the good, and the Spurs are 
I think they found themselves down at least 10 in the fourth quarter, something like that, clawed their way back. Marco Bellinelli hit the clutch three-pointer to send it to overtime, and the Spurs pulled away in overtime. So you, you saw that clutch gene coming through from the Spurs, not necessarily their stars, but it showed their willingness to not give up and to keep playing hard. So those Someone two at wins least were, came through. Yeah. yeah someone, someone at least came through, right? Okay. In this case, it was Lonnie and Marco, who are both in a big battle right now with each other for minutes. So that was a little ironic. And so then they get five days off, some much needed rest, some much needed playing time since they had not had consecutive nights off since October. Come back against the Cavs, look pretty rusty, but eventually get the lead. I think they built the lead up to 10 points again in the fourth quarter and then proceed to blow that. They were still up by five points with 20 seconds left. And the Cavs, I think it was Jordan Clarkson hits a three. They foul the Spurs. DeMar DeRozan misses both free throws. And then the Cavs hit a two to force overtime. And the Spurs were just absolutely horrible in overtime. Never even in it after that. So now you have a case of them building a late lead and proceeding to what I call blow it by missing their game, icing free throws and allowing two buckets in 20 seconds. Uh, it's just, just reliving that game at this point. Uh, like we give reliving a lot of them besides the Houston game is, is tough because of the overall way that they played through that game. The Houston game, they were engaged. They were playing intense ball you could you could tell that the team was was focused and exerting itself and 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 doing it and doing their best and and the rest of them is just the rest of those games the rest of three games just large stretches of just interminable execution intensity that came and went defense that was non-existent and, and especially as far as that cavaliers game is concerned Demar didn't just miss those last two free throws. He he bricked them. He choked the arc he puts on his ball on his on, on his free throws. Just that nice looping, gorgeous arc disappears at the as has been at times disappearing at the end of games. I don't want to paint it paint with too broad a brush. The truth is damning enough on its own. Without without uh, <laughs> elaborating outside of uh, outside of what's actually happening, the the arc changes and he's front rimming those and and both of those and like the you could the second one was worse than the first. That's incredibly frustrating to watch, but it's just one of those things that needed to happen and and for the for the Spurs to win. The worst part of it in the in the Cavs game is the fact that they were only tied at the end of regulation, not just because of the free throws, not just because of the bad defense that allowed the three to tie, but because DeMar threw a fit, ripped the ball way past the, the, the backboard on a last second, last ditch effort, didn't even try and make the basket was called for a tech and, and gifted the Cavs a point at the beginning of the third quarter as a result. How does this play into this idea of clutch and whether or not this team is able to play clutch 
and the way the team's thinking about themselves, especially what Damar's been saying? Well, I part of me feels like DeMar DeRozan knows he's the highest paid player on this team. He really wants to come through for them and be a leader. And he just he has a tendency to try to take over in the final minute, hold on to the ball, create his own ISO attempts, or he's the one that gets the ball and gets fouled to try to hit the game icing free throws. And as as much as he wants to be the man for the Spurs, he just doesn't have that clutch gene in him. And reality is he's not the only one who has missed important free throws the last couple of games. Uh, I think it was LaMarcus Aldridge in the Suns game had an and yeah. one opportunity that would have put them up by four with, I can't remember, about 16 seconds left or something. Mm-hmm. He misses that free throw. The Suns take it to the other end and hit a three by Kelly Oubre Jr. And it's going to overtime again. And, Apparently, according to Mar to Demar, both he and Lamarcus Aldridge had a talk after the Suns game that they needed to work on being better on free throws. His actual quote was, "I said this to LA after the game. We got to be better at the free throw line. The last couple of games have been terrible. We've got to get into a rhythm the whole game and not think so much." To me, not think so much says a lot about where his mind, maybe LaMarcus's, is at the end of the games as they're feeling the pressure to carry the team but are unable to do it. Not think so much. This is something that we've heard from Spurs players. You know, it's something that, that Pop has talked about. He's got to be if – he's, if he's talking about it in front of the press – uh, regularly throughout the years. It's something he's talking about behind closed doors as well. Not trying too hard, letting the game come to you, you know, hold on loosely kind of idea, grab it, but don't you know, like hold on to it, but don't grip it. Like this, this idea that, that you play better when you're allowing the game to come to you when you're playing right with some mindfulness of the situation, but allowing your body to do, you've trained it to do, that that quote from Demar there though doesn't sound like something that can. This doesn't sound like a f- switch that you can flip to me. How about this? Doesn't sound like a test you can cram for. <laughs> if you anybody who's been in that situation who knows, man, I am not ready for this test tomorrow. Was it a, a, a final at the end of the semester? And crams for that. Some subjects you can cram for, and you could be better prepared and and perform well in, or better than you would have if you hadn't crammed. This does not sound like a test, a crammable test. This doesn't sound like you can do some late night study session and be prepared to play like that. That sounds like the person that you've become over your life, like. Life has either prepared you for this and the decisions that you have made, the way that you've responded to life have have gotten you ready to be able to do that, or they haven't. One or the other. And in this case, the way that this team is playing, mindfulness at the ends of games hasn't been happening. (laughs) And you've got this, hey, we need to be better at shooting clutch free throws. So I guess we don't, so that we don't brick them 
and choke at the ends of games. I, I mean, is that is that the way you read this? Yeah, a little bit. And I will say, in my opinion, just because you are the best player or highest paid player on the team doesn't mean you need to be the one to shoot free throws. I mean, if, if the Spurs needed clutch free throws in the past, Tim Duncan isn't the first player they tried to in, <laughs> inbound the ball to because that wasn't his strength. So if uh, DeRozan feels like clutch free throws are a problem for him, they shouldn't hesitate to make sure that the ball gets to Patty Mills or maybe Derek White or just someone who does have that calmness and knows they can hit them. And trying to be the person to hit the free throws and ice the game shouldn't be something that DeRozan or Aldridge or anyone else who does not feel free throws are their strong suit should try to force out of them. Some players have it, some don't. Tim Duncan was one that kind of didn't. You'd rather go to Manu Ginobili, maybe Tony Parker, and that was fine. Man, and it wasn't just LaMarcus in the Suns game either. Tamar in overtime had a free throw, had a free throw chance that he missed, and then the rebound bounced out, and that's what set up Patty Mills to with that last shot, which I think is also interesting because Pop always draws up whenever he draws up a play there's multiple options so it depends on the way the defense plays things what is allowed to happen or the best plays that he draws up are like that at least and this one coming to patty said a lot to me said a lot about the confidence because what we have always seen from the spurs across the years is a play drawn up at the end of games this shifted last couple of years with Kawhi leonard playing when his skills as a one-on-one player allowed Pop to just dump the ball into him and quite create at the end of the game, at the end of the shot clock, at the end of the quarter, whatever whatever the case may be, and get a good shot up. Since then, I can't remember a an out-of-time-out play drawn up that has been a game winner, a game clutch like that that hasn't been one-on-one since this patty mills against phoenix in mexico city which was terrific play patty curls around drills it no doubter and it didn't go to demar and it wasn't like what we've seen in the in the in the past of this year previously throughout this season just hand it to DeMar and have him create something. Last time he did that, he wound up close to the three-point line, fading away with a guy in his hand, a guy with his hand, a hand in his face that wasn't fooled at all and practically no chance of the shot going in. What do you see as far as the way that the, the team has changed from over the years or the way that, or what this shot by Patty Mills might mean? Oh, one thing I have taken away from a lot of this season and some of last season, but without Tim, Tony, Manu, even Kawhi, the Spurs have really lacked a go-to person in the clutch that they can trust will either get the basket they need to either win or force overtime or whatever, or will at least get the best look available. And they can, even if they don't hit it, they can leave the game saying, 
we did everything we could. We tried our best. We couldn't have done better than that. And they just don't have that person. And it, with Patty Mills being their most senior player, he knows the systems the best. He's been very reliable all season. They're just finally saying, forget the star power. We're going to who we trust to make this happen. And right now, Patty Mills seems like the most logical person to play that role. He's a leader. He knows the system. He knows what plays Pop is drawing up. And it doesn't hurt when you're shooting as well as Patty was against the Suns, hitting six three-pointers and 26 points overall. The Spurs just need to be ready to go to whoever's hot in the moment and whoever they trust in the moment and not just go into ISO play with DeRozan, Aldridge, or even Rudy Gay, who has hit some clutch shots for the Spurs, but he hasn't been all there this season yet. Great points there, Marilyn. I like where you're going. I'm going to maybe quibble with one thing that you said as far as the team doesn't have a player like that. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break, and when we come back, I want to talk about maybe the team does have a player like that. All right. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. This is J.R. Wilco. You're listening to the Superfluous Poppycock Podcast. I've got writer Marilyn Dubinsky here with me. Marilyn, you wrote a piece on Sunday specifically about a player that I think might actually have not just that clutch gene, but be in a position to become one of the next Tony, Tim, Manu type players you can give the ball to or design plays around in addition to Patty who runs hot and cold. And that's Lonnie Walker, the fourth. Tell me a little bit about what you've noticed and what you wrote in that piece on Sunday about Lonnie and the way that he changes the team just based by being on the floor. Well, one of the first things I have noticed with Lonnie in these four overtime games. And the first one against Houston was his first real breakout game where Pop just threw him out there and let him do his thing. And he helped bring him all the way back with those 19 points in the fourth quarter is obviously the leash has been loosened. He is not afraid to make mistakes anymore. And that is probably helping his confidence some, but just the instant he enters the game, you see the energy level change both with the team and even with the crowd. The crowd gets excited when he comes in. You start hearing some Lonnie chants, and that just invigorates everyone for the Spurs, and they just play better. He picks up the energy. He gets out in transition. He drives to the basket. He's not afraid to pull up and shoot threes. His Defense has been impressive lately after he got some flack from Pop early in the season for a lack of effort. He frustrated James Harden into oblivion in that Rockets game. Had a little help from the refs, but we've discussed that already. (laughs) But he he was keeping his hand up, not not getting caught with his hands down or reaching. He's come a long way, and he really picks up the energy both for the players and the building as a whole when he enters. Yeah, there are a number of things that 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 are impressive about Lonnie. Obviously, just watching him move across the court, especially when 
he finds a gap in the defense and he cruises down the lane and lays it in. It does look so easy. It does look as though he's barely moving. It's very, very aesthetically pleasing to watch. I think one of the things that's the most impressive about it is how well he played Harden on defense without fouling. You can't force a player like Harden to miss. He's going to have a good game or a bad game. I've seen incredible defense played on him, hand in the face, probably couldn't even see the basket. He was still making shots. That's neither here nor there. You play the defense that you can. You don't foul. You don't give him trips to the line, and you make him earn what he gets. And Lonnie Walker did an incredible job on that. DeJounte Murray played played Harden, defended Harden at the end of that game, wound up sending him to the line. DeMar DeRozan switched on him. Didn't even play him for an entire possession. Got his hand in a cookie jar. Sent Harden to the line. Lonnie just didn't foul him. And that kind of cerebral play from a guy who's as young as he is, is incredibly encouraging when you're looking at a season like we are right now where there's hardly, where where you have to hunt at times to find good things to be excited about, even after wins because they're so discouraging. I didn't feel like the team had won that, that Suns game. They had it won. They didn't close it out. It went to overtime. They're behind in overtime. And if Ricky Rubio doesn't have that ball just bounce off his mitts for some reason, can't like watch the watch that replay a number of times. I have no idea how he didn't rip it. Then then the Spurs have no chance. And it takes it takes scoring a bucket, missing uh missing an and and one free throw. And then having the ball go out of bounds and keeping the possession in order to actually win that game. So many things had to break, right? So many things the Suns had to do wrong. So many things that the Spurs had to just have drop in their laps for these opportunities that it didn't really feel like they had earned and didn't seem like they should have been in overtime to begin with. That that watching Lonnie Walker is just, it's it's not the lone bright point in the season, but it's one of them, one of the brightest. And seeing him get this kind of regular playing time. And now with the news that uh, he he tweeted after the game that everything was all right and he didn't have a problem and he wasn't hurt. This is this is this is one of my favorite things to think about and talk about and and enjoy reading about as the as the piece that you wrote on Sunday about how he changes the game just by being on the court. What else about Lonnie would you like to say? Um, I know probably a few weeks ago in one of our in the bonuses, we talked about if it was time for Lonnie to start or just any other change in the starting lineup. And I remember at the time saying, not yet. He still, you know, needs to keep learning, keep growing. My mind may be shifting on that a little bit because oh, yeah? even before Lonnie was getting regular minutes, the bench was still more of an energizer than the starters. That starting unit is still just dragging along, starting games slow, making the bench dig them out. And I'm starting to think that it is time to infuse some real energy into the starters. And it might be time to bench Bryn Forbes for Lonnie Walker. 
Oh, and you love Bryn Forbes. This is a major shift for you. What, like, like, <laughs> I'm not going to say you're a fanboy, right? You'd have to be a fangirl if anything. <clears throat> but uh, like, like Forbes is your guy. Tell, what's what, what's going on? I, I mean, like, obviously, I could, I know what's going on. O for eight against Phoenix. That's a pretty pretty big factor, and you can see the way that Pop's dialing back his minutes. But talk a little bit more. Well, I have always been a defender of Bryn. I still love him. I am a big fan of those Spurs underdog stories. He is definitely up there in the list of players the Spurs have turned from no names into actual NBA players. But his main contribution is three-point shooting. And granted, he was kind of forced into the starting lineup at the beginning of last season with both DeJounte Murray and Derek White out with injury. And Pop clearly wants to keep Patty Mills as his energizer bunny off the bench. And, you know, Bryn wasn't bad as a starter last year. He hit over 40% of his threes, brought some much-needed spacing to the starters, and it worked well enough. They won 48 games, went to the playoffs, almost made it to the second round. There wasn't too much reason to change it up coming into this season, but it just hadn't been the same this season. He's only hitting 34, 35% of his threes. Yes, yeah, 34.2, I think. 34.8. So it's going down. It was higher than that early. I mean, I think early in the season, he was averaging almost 15 points a game. That's down to 11-12 territory. And he just, with the defense being even worse than last year, he's even more exposed on that end than than he was last year. And I get that if Pop wants Patty and Bryn to both have minutes, it's better to keep them apart than to have the Munchkin lineup, as we've come to call it, on the court together, because that makes it even worse for the defense but obviously DeMar and LaMarcus are always going to start that isn't going to change Pop has been tweaking the point guard and and small forward spots he's tried DeJounte and Derek he's tried uh, Rudy Gay he's tried going big starting Jakob Pertle the one thing he hadn't tried yet that that he could, you know, excluding DeMar and LaMarcus, as he has not tried benching Bryn Forbes. And if this starting lineup cannot find energy, cannot find points, and just every game is going to be about digging out of holes, then the next logical step, if it's not going to be DeMar or LaMarcus, is Bryn Forbes, and I would put Lonnie Walker in there. Well, I would love to see Walker in there. I'd, I'd love to see a change at all. I hate to see someone fail, but we've been watching enough of that this year. Look at the team's record, and you can and know that's the case. And I have to say, done a little research here. Tell me how far you think we'd have to go back in the history of this season. To, to have two starters end the game with a positive plus-minus. I know plus-minus data is often not a great representation of what happened, but game after game, negative 
across the board or one player positive, a little bit positive in the starting lineup. Tell me the last time you think, how far back do we have to go to have multiple players with a positive plus minus in the, from the starters? Well, I feel like it would have to be a win, but I don't feel <laughs> like it was these either of these last three wins and three of the four overtime games. You have to go all the way back to the Clippers game. That was going to be my guess. November 29th, probably the most complete game the team has played all season long before you have, and and everyone was barely positive in that game. Uh, If you keep on going back, the next game against the Timberwolves, everybody's in the negative except for Pirtle, as he started that night. And you've got negative 24 from Aldridge, negative 8 from DeRozan, negative 15 from Forbes, negative 11 from White. This is a starting group that has struggled all year long, last year as well, shaking it up some with with a guy that's that doesn't have an established role that he's been used to all season long. I think it's a great idea. I'd love to see Walker jump in and take that position from Forbes, if for nothing else, to shake things up and see what happens. But it seems like Good things happen every time he's on the court. After he banged knees or after I had this little issue uh, in in Mexico City and the, the team had been playing so well from the time that he had come on the court to help come uh, create the opportunity for that comeback and he sat down, I found myself thinking, oof, no Lonnie Walker. Man, I wonder what's going to happen now. Doesn't look good. And then the Suns immediately went on a run. So I would love to see him out there to see if he can improve the offense and the defense. It seems like the offense is better spaced with him out there, even when he's not touching the ball regularly, just from the threat of him being ready to hit the three and ready to drive. So I got to support you, Marilyn. I love your idea. Well, that's good to know. I'm glad you agree with me on something. <laughs> it's not like I disagree with everything you say. Just All sometimes. Right. Yeah, okay. All right, so do you have any superfluous poppycock? Yeah, any unnecessary foolishness to, to, to finish off this podcast with? I do, and I hate to call out my fellow Spurs fans, but all the moaning about Davis Bertans playing so well for the Wizards – and accusing the Spurs of giving up, giving him up for nothing just needs to stop. First of all, the fact that they literally gave him up for nothing is false. He was part of a three-team deal that brought Damari Carroll over. I get that Carroll is not playing the role we'd hope he would yet, but sometimes we all have to remember new players tend to struggle with the Spurs system. It wouldn't surprise me if later in the season he does find a role. But just the fact that Spurs gave Davis up for nothing is false. It it just isn't true. The other thing is accusing the front office of messing up with that move is wrong. They did not mess up. It was a move they had to make because they had a promise from Marcus Morris that he was going to sign, but they could not sign him as long as Bertans was on the roster because they didn't have the space or, 
or the cap room. So it had to be done to even make that signing. They had no idea that Marcus would actually back out of that deal. I mean, I guess it, knowing him as a person, it may have been a little risky <laughs> to go after him to begin with. But I do think he would have been a definite upgrade to the Spurs team if they could have gotten him. And the other thing people need to remember is, yes, Bertans is hitting threes at an insane rate in with the Wizards. That's because he has a lot more freedom to do so under Pop. He's getting more playing time. But the Wizards are still a lot worse than the Spurs. They're, they have fewer wins. And I think a lot of people forget that uh, even with the Spurs, that Davis had a big tendency to start the season strong and fade away. I mean, he shot under 30% for threes after the All-Star break last season. And that's why he fell out of the rotation. That's not a complete that's not completely pop's fault that doesn't mean that the front office deserves an f for this offseason because of how all that went and so i mean that's my unnecessarily foolishness is people need to stop giving the front office an f because i went with down with that trade and remember the circumstances davis is now playing in versus what he was playing here man i have to agree with you i would almost say that that's some some necessary foolishness. Well, I guess what the what the Spurs fans who were arguing that would be definitely qualified as foolishness and unnecessary. If you're going to gripe, gripe about the right thing. Gripe about the fact that they should have been going for Morris at all because of the issues that he has shown with attitude and the way he's clashed with management, clashed with coaches, clashed with his own teammates, clashed with the opposition, and just just the, the the potential lack of wisdom in in bringing him on the roster. And the way that the system is set up right now allows in that situation for players to stab teams in the back. So the Spurs, if they're at fault for anything or at fault for the guy that they triggered to make that move for. But Bertans would not be playing, would not be scoring like he is, would not be reaching the point levels that he is on a nightly basis in San Antonio. Pop wouldn't be playing him like that. He wouldn't have quite the green light that he does. And he would be sitting when he's not playing defense. And so to sit there and to look, well, look, he's going off. I wish he was in San Antonio. He wouldn't be having the season he's having in San Antonio. So I got to agree with you again there, Marilyn. You're two for two. As far as my superfluous poppycock for this podcast, I have to say a personal, something something personal here. Uh, My son has a YouTube channel He's had a birthday recently, and my birthday present to him is to try and get the number of subscribers to his YouTube channel up. He goes by the name of Super Brickster. That's two words, super space, B-R-I-C-K-S-T-E-R. If you like stop motion, if you like Legos, if you like Marvel, then this is a channel that you will enjoy. Please subscribe, and if you do so, tweet me at at Jolly Roger Wilco to my Twitter handle, and I will choose someone that subscribes and tweets me to receive a free Breaking Tea t-shirt 
Spurs related from one of the t-shirts that we've done with Breaking Tea over the years. That will do it for this episode of Superfluous Poppycock. Marilyn, thanks for sticking with me. And until next time, you guys, keep safe and let it fly. Let it fly.